You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage this feels very jinxy. I actually don't like doing this. I'm on vacation, as I mentioned last week, so we had to record a few shows in advance, which means you're hearing my voice now, but I could be dead. There could have been, I'm in Austria, uh, theoretically in Austria, if everything went well, but you know, a plane could have crashed and I could be dead somewhere. I could, CNN could be searching for my plane day seven or eight at this point, or I could have successfully made it to Austria in one piece and then had some bad schnitzel and that was the end of me and you're hearing me from beyond the tomb, right? Beyond the grave. And so these sorts of pre-recordings that they make me nervous because they seem jinxy because I have worst case scenario disorder, WCSD. We call it at our house. I caught it from my mother. There's some hereditary component. I am now very like my mother in that the phone rings and you don't say hello when you answer the phone. You say, what's wrong? The phone rings. Now you know it's your kid calling or you know it's your spouse calling and you just see that and think, this is bad. And what's wrong? Never hello, Terry points out when he calls me on the phone. Why can't it ever be hello? Can you start with hello? It's always, what's wrong? And my mother did that. She did that too. Not hello, but what's wrong? I'm there. So this feels a little jinxy, you know, speaking to you from the past into the future and I could be dead. Uh, And like I said, we are in Austria. Uh, Terry and I in Austria on vacation. Um, Our son away at snowboard camp. Hopefully everything's okay there too. Oh my God. Worst case scenario disorder when you send your kid off with a snowboard uh, into the mountains as we go off into mountains on the other side of the world. What could possibly go wrong Uh, besides everything? Why Austria for vacation? Well, we have friends there who offered to show us around and they owed us because we showed these friends the sound of music. They had never seen this film. They came to visit and we were like, you are from Austria. You must know the sound of music by heart. It has your national anthem in it, Edelweiss. And as it turns out, Edelweiss is not the Austrian national anthem, which I knew. I only said that to annoy them. But a lot of Americans believe that to be true because of the effectiveness of Rodgers and Hammerstein's uh, propaganda in that movie. But we sat our Austrian friends down and we subjected them not just to the sound of music, but also to uh, Terry and I singing along to the sound of music, which all Americans must do. And they hated it. Our Austrian friends hated it for all the right reasons. Not for the schmaltz, not for the terrible choreography, not because Charmaine Carr, who played Liesel, was 10 years too old for the part, but because it downplayed the actual Anschluss. It downplayed how psyched and thrilled uh, Austria was to become part of the German Reich. The Austrians were fervent Nazis. And of course you watch this film and you think there's just one Nazi in all of Austria. The guy's sort of engineering the Anschluss and everybody else is sort of like, man, I don't know about the Nazis, but you know, you have to go along to get along. Or they just seem completely unaware this Anschluss thing is happening. Uh, and, and that's bullshit. Austria was a bit Nazier than the Nazis were. The Anschluss, uh, a lot of Austrians went out of their way to prove that they belonged in the German Reich by being even shittier to the Jews. Uh, than the Germans had been. If you've watched The Sound of Music, of course, there's two. Mo- there's one famous moment in The Sound of Music that everybody enjoys. Maria, what is it you can't face? That moment when the abbess turns to Maria and says, Maria, what is it you can't face? In this accent that makes it sound like, Maria, what is it, comma, you can't face? Instead of, Maria, what is it you can't face? 
you know, a comma can really screw things up. Maria, what is it, you cunt face? Everybody loves that. My favorite moment as a student of history and sort of a, a Second World War buff, if I can, if you can be that, do a lot of reading about the Second World War, sort of obsessed about it, is, you know, I know that the Austrians were very enthusiastic about the Anschluss. There's this wonderful moment when Captain von Trapp is singing the Austrian national anthem, Edelweiss, which is not the Austrian national anthem, uh, to the crowd at the music festival in Salzburg right before their escape. And he says some things about the Anschluss that are negative and says he wants his homeland to be free. And they cut to this shot uh, of the Nazi who's running the Anschluss, the only Nazi in Austria. And he's sitting in the audience and he suddenly looks very nervous because, you know, Captain von Trapp is saying these things that might, you know, inspire the Austrians to rise up against their new German overlords. And he's looking very weaselly and back and forth. And just over his left shoulder, watch the movie again, just over his left shoulder, there's an extra behind him who just shakes his head and gets his look on his face like, yeah, I don't know about these Nazis. The funniest moment in the whole film. Right up there with Maria. What is it you can't face? Anyway, these Sound of Music thoughts come to me now because you're hearing my voice either from beyond the grave, because I am dead at the bottom of the ocean with that Malaysian flight, or uh, you're hearing my voice while I am jumping into Alpine Lakes with my husband uh, and our Austrian buddies up in the Alps somewhere. I hope you're having a great summer too. I hope you got away. I hope you found a weekend to jump into a lake somewhere uh, as I am jumping into a lake right now. And before we get to your calls, a very special uh, congratulations to Neil and Willie, whose wedding Terry and I attended in Glasgow on our way to Austria. Congrats, guys, uh, on your legal marriage. And we were thrilled to be involved and to be invited. And now your calls. Dear Dan Savage, I just had oral sex with a guy that I met from Grindr. What are the chances of getting HIV if he came in my mouth while I was breathing through my nose? I think I got some spunk in my sinus cavity. I'm calling hoping that you'll allay my fears of being the only man ever to get HIV from a blowjob. Sincerely obsessed. I have not one, not two, but three friends who Ciro converted uh, from blowjobs. Three friends who never got fucked in the ass. Three friends who weren't that into anal, weren't into it at all, weren't fucking anybody when they were fucking people. They were using condoms, but they gave blowjobs and... They got infected. Now that, considering the number of gay friends I have, considering the three decades uh, that we are into the HIV epidemic, you could regard that number as small. But when you're the one who draws that short straw, however rare that short straw might be, however long the odds, it sucks for you because then you're pause. So, uh, and there's nothing wrong with being pause. There's nothing wrong with pause people. We don't want to be pause phobic, but it is better not to have a chronic potentially fatal medical condition than it is to have one. So I would urge you to err on the side of caution. If you believe there's a chance you might have been exposed, you might want to talk to a doctor about whether there are lots of tiny little blood vessels in the mucous membranes in your sinuses, uh, that getting it up into your sinuses could potentially be riskier than getting it right down the gullet. You might want to go on PEP post-exposure prophylactics, uh, which is very effective at blocking HIV transmission if indeed you have been exposed. And going forward, if you're going to suck the dicks of randos you meet on Grinder, you might want to talk to your doctor about Truveda. It's very effective, and it can relieve these post-blowjob common sinuses nerves that you have by being proactive about protecting your health and using Truveda. Talk to your doctor. Hi, uh, I'm a 25-year-old female living in Portland, Oregon. I have known since I'm, I was maybe 14 that I was bisexual, but this is something that 
I have pretty much not explored at all. I don't really have an excuse for why I'm someone that's kind of always been in uh, committed, monogamous, straight relationships. Just so happens they happen one after the other. And when I am single, I just, I guess I'm I'm shy. I, I've been maybe too scared to ever make the first move on a woman. Um, right now, I'm in a relationship with someone who I've been with for five years. I love him a lot. I really care about him. We've been monogamous the whole time. And the more serious that things get, the more I think about this part of my sexuality that I know almost nothing about, but that has such a strong presence for me in my mind. I don't want to be dishonest with him. He knows that I'm attracted to women. He probably doesn't know how much it's a part of me. Um, he probably doesn't know that I think about having sex with women 90% of the time that we're having sex. We've discussed having an open relationship, but it's not something that he's interested in. He thinks that he would get hurt really easily. But I don't want to necessarily take a break and step away from this relationship fully in order to explore that side of me. Or I think I don't want to because the thought of losing someone that I have thought about even spending the rest of my life with is devastating. And yet leaving this part of my sexuality completely unexplored is equally devastating. So if you have any advice for me, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Someone's going to have to pay the price of admission. You will either, if you're going to stay with this guy who wants a monogamous commitment for the rest of your life, you will have to forego ever having hot, hot girl-on-girl sex ever in your whole life, or at least until he changes his mind about the monogamy thing, which many people do in long-term relationships many years into them. Or he will have to agree to let you explore this aspect of your sexuality as a condition of staying with you right now. His condition for you to be with him is monogamy. You can shift the debate and make allowing you to explore this your condition for him to remain with you, but something's got to give. Someone's got to give. Someone loses. And the only question is, who's it going to be? Right now, it's you, and you sound kind of unhappy about this. And my prediction is long-term, if you stay because you don't want to lose him and you forego this and you never get to explore this aspect of your sexuality, you will begin to sabotage the relationship, to undermine it. The resentment and frustration will grow to such an extent that you will find a reason to get the fuck out of this relationship so you can finally do this. I have witnessed this again and again. I've got a billion letters detailing this exact process, billion letters over the last 20 years detailing this exactly how this goes down. Okay, I can never do my foot fetish thing. I can never explore girl on girl. I can never give a blowjob. I can never get a blowjob. I can never do bondage or S&M. I can never get pissed on or piss on anybody. Da, 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 da. I won't for you. I won't. I won't. I won't. And then it just festers and boils and eventually explodes. Somebody cheats. Somebody cheats or somebody wants out or somebody gins up a good reason to get out because wanting to get pissed on isn't a good enough reason. So they find a different Causes belly? Is that how you say that? That's one of those words and phrases you read and rarely have an opportunity to say out loud. And then everyone yells at you for getting it wrong. Like quinoa or quinoa, which I've been mispronouncing. Apparently it's quini. What is it? Quinoa. The tech-savvy quinoa scarfing at-risk youth inform me. And a million of you on Twitter every time I get it wrong. Sorry. Anyway, people will find some other causes belly Yell and scream about that so they can get out of the relationship to go do 
X, whatever X might be. You're 25, serial monogamist. You're still young. You have never explored, really. My advice, get out. My advice, break up, explore, live a little, maybe circle back. And if he's still single and you've had your belly full of pussy and you're satiated, maybe you guys can put it back together again. But it's going to end if you guys can't figure out an accommodation that allows you to be who you are and stay in this relationship. Also, one more thing about what you said as, you know, when you were single, which you hardly ever were, you're 25, you had multiple relationships and you've been in this one for five years. When the fuck were you single? Middle school? When you were single and you were shy and you didn't know how to find other bi women, I think someone needs to make an app that only exists to hook up shy bi women with other shy bi women, many of them partnered with men who are too embarrassed or shy or shamed to go into lesbian bars, who don't know how to make them move, who are hanging back waiting for some other bi woman or lesbian woman to hit on them when so many other lesbian or bi women are hanging back waiting for you to hit on them. There needs to be an app like a Tinder or a Blender, a buyer that just exists to hook up all the shy bi girls who can't find each other. Hi, what is your take on male gynecologists? I am wondering what is the motivation for a man to pick that specific profession? If a man is gay, I would assume he would prefer to stay away from vaginas. And if a man is straight, I would think that they would get turned on half the time, which is inappropriate in that situation. A few might be asexual and also be interested in feminine health, but this can't be the explanation for everyone. I understand that any doctor could be sexually attracted to any patient, but why would a man want to be a gynecologist? Do you think it is possible for a man to be attracted to vaginas and also be a gynecologist with the right intentions? Your whole point, I reject the premise of your entire question. It rests on this assumption that Really, genitals are enough. That's very reductive. Just like you show a gay guy a dick and he's like, whoa, dick, I'm getting a boner. There's a dick. As if it's irrelevant, the context in which you are viewing this dick, the person to whom this dick is attached. Show me even still Brad Pitt's dick and I'm going to be like, yeah, show me Bill O'Reilly's dick and I'm going to run out of the room. There's going to be a Dan-shaped hole in the wall. If the wall is closer than the door, I will make for the wall first. That there are men out there who go into gynecology, OBGYNs, and many, many good ones. I have lady friends who raved about their male gynecologists without ever mentioning whether they're gay or straight. That they can't maintain some professional demeanor. That the, the sight of any vagina is like waving a red flag in front of a bull. And all men are bulls. Just some of them are gay bulls who are going to run. And some of them are straight bulls who are going to dive in. That's just, that's just bullshit. And no one could be anything. Under that rubric, people aren't just attracted to twats and cocks. People like all sorts of different body parts. So somebody can't be an eye, ear, nose, and throat doctor because they like eyes because they find people's eyes attractive. Somebody can't be a masseuse because they might have to touch somebody's shoulders and their shoulder people. Somebody can't be a sports medicine doc because he's a leg man or she's a leg man and that would excite them inappropriately. Bullshit. I really think what informs your call is this panic that you see really shot through the culture that someone somewhere might be occasionally deriving a secret sexual thrill from something. This informs the whole sort of straight world freak out about trans people using bathrooms. 
right? Because what if a trans person is going into a bathroom for thrills, which really nobody does. And if you Google woman attacked in bathroom, it's all straight guys attacking women in bathrooms. I wrote a long post about this. All this bullshit hand-wringing about, oh my God, trans people using the bathroom. They're already using the fucking bathrooms and they're not attacking anybody. If you want to make bathrooms safer for women, straight guys should not be allowed to go to the bathroom anywhere but at home and with the doornail shut. Not because all straight guys are rapists and monsters, but because a small percentage of them are. And if, if we need to ban all trans people from bathrooms because some trans people might be deriving secret thrills, then no, we need to ban all straight guys from bathrooms because some of them are not only deriving secret thrills, but attacking people. I've lost my place. Backing up. Oh, secret thrills. Okay, let's say that there's a gynecologist who has a female patient that he finds kind of attractive, and he might have to put his whole face into her twat to take a look around. What if that one time he's like, yeah, that was a little, I got a little buzz from that, but I'm a professional and I set that aside and I didn't waggle my boner in her face. I didn't make a move. I didn't ask her out while I had my fingers in her because that would be inappropriate and unprofessional. And that's what we expect of people. Not that they're never turned on, not that they never derive some accidental can't help it secret thrill but that they are professionals and they maintain a professional demeanor and distance and that they can compartmentalize these worlds. My professional life, if I'm just selling shoes to people and let's say I'm a leg man or a leg woman or I have a sneaker fetish as some people do, Google it, many people do, and I sell shoes and I own a shoe store and every once in a while I'm putting shoes on someone who's my type and I get a secret thrill. What's so fucking terrible about that? The world is full of people getting secret thrills all the time. Some of them might be gynecologists. Some of them might be shoe people. Some of them might be the person peeing next to you at the urinal at the gym. Right? The test of other people's fitness to be gynecologists or shoe salesmen or permitted to pee in public is how they behave at those moments when they get those secret thrills. Whether they can keep themselves in control and maintain professional demeanor or a respectful distance and not creep out or assault or ask out or leverage that moment in such a way that it makes the other person conscious of the secret thrill or feel unsafe in their presence. So chill the fuck out. Hi, Dan, 30 year old male in a very small city in the middle of nowhere. Uh, about five and a half years ago, I graduated from college had plans to go to graduate school and move away, so I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. Three days later, she comes to me and says she's pregnant, so I put all that on hold. I stay, I get a job, we get back together, we move in together. Our son comes along, six months later we get married. About a year ago, out of the blue, she wants a divorce. Turns out she was very dishonest throughout the divorce process. Uh, there was somebody else just kind of planted a seed of doubt within me about whether I could trust her or not. I really wanted to move away after this happened, take my son with me for at least part of the year, work out some sort of co-parenting agreement, being that I don't really have family in the area anymore. She works a really crazy overnight schedule that's unpredictable. I took steps to eliminate my codependence on her, and I asked her to do the same. Uh, she flat out refused, said I would shoot, never let me take him with me out of state, and that I was selfish for wanting to leave, and that him being there should be enough to keep me. 
well, the seed of doubt just kind of ruminated for a while, and I couldn't dismiss it. I just wanted to know for myself. I was never going to tell anybody I did it. I was ashamed to do it in the first place, but I took a paternity test, and she's not mine. She's not my biological son. I told her, and she hasn't let me see him since. Wants me off the birth certificate, wants me gone, because I don't plan to stay around here. And now, especially now, I can't bring him with me. So not only is she trying to take him away from me, she wants me to never see him again, she's also using that to make me the bad guy, saying I'm a bad and I can't yet. That's exactly what she wants. Anyway, she's just, she's just kind of a wicked person. And I just, I guess I just want an outsider's perspective on what I'm doing. If what I'm doing is, I know that there's no easy right or wrong in this, but I guess I just want to want to know what, what you think of it. Even if you aren't the biological father, most states recognize that you are the de facto father. You're an emotional father, that you do have parental rights that can be enforced. Some men who find out through DNA testing that they're not the biological fathers of their children resent this very much. They end up paying child support uh, if there's a divorce in the wake of this revelation or if the couple isn't together at all. Child support to support a kid that isn't quote-unquote theirs. But the courts recognize that children form bonds uh, that aren't just about biology. And if you've been the parent that's been present, if you've parented this child, you are on the hook emotionally and financially and legally. But that hook is a double-edged sword. Sorry to shift hooky, metally metaphors there in midstream, but that's a two-edged sword. You have rights, legally enforceable rights. She just can't Throw a DNA test in your face now, five years after this child was born, five years of you parenting and taking responsibility for this child. She can't just throw a DNA test in your face and say you're not the parent and cut you out of this child's life. You have parented. You are the parent. The same courts that will compel a man to pay child support for a kid that isn't his biologically will hopefully disprove all the men's rights activists and issue a fair judgment when it comes to custody. And if you are a parent, enough of a parent to be on the hook for child support, you are enough of a parent to go for custody. So get thee to a lawyer that handles these kinds of cases in your area, in the city where you live, and talk about what the law is in your state, because these laws do vary from state to state. Find out what your rights are, and do right by this kid. Do right by your kid. I said this when I adopted my son, that there's something about doing the parenting that makes you feel that when you're not the biological parent, right? You go through the motions of parenting and you become the parent. You have gone through the motions of parenting. You bonded with this child. You bonded with this child when you believed the child was yours biologically. You are his father and he needs you. Uh, hey, Dan. Um, I'm a queer girl. I'm young. I'm in college. Um, I'm very interested in a very good friend of mine who um, is also queer and in an open relationship. And she's been very clear that this is an open relationship, that she has had um, encounters with other people um, as long as, you know, she discusses it with her significant other first. Um, and I want to approach the the situation with her, and I would like to pursue something with her, but I, I really don't know how to approach it without being disrespectful, without being harassy and gross. And, I, and I've never approached a situation like this before. I, I really don't know where the lines are. I don't know. So, advice, please? 
this is an easy one. You hang out with this person. You continue to be friends with this person. You use your eyes and ears, feel if there's a spark there, and then at the right moment, maybe after a drink, not ten drinks, you just toss it out there that if she's in an open relationship and she's into you, you would be up for that. And then she can say yay or nay or yes or no or I've been thinking the same thing or not. or And who knows, maybe in the hanging out before you work up the nerve – based on your best judgment about whether she might be interested in you. In all that hangout, maybe she'll hit on you before you ever have to hit on her, but someone will have to hit on someone. Someone always does have to hit on someone, or nothing ever happens. And that person might have to be you. You hesitate because you fear the awkward ramifications of a rejection. What if she's not into you? What if she feels somehow that your advance was disrespectful? Well, make sure your advance is respectful, which the easiest way to do that is to build permission to reject and an acknowledgement that you will accept rejection in a mature way into the pass itself. You say, hey, I'd be up for it. If you'd be up for it, if you're not up for it, please don't worry about it. I still want to be your friend. It'll be awkward for five minutes, but we'll power through it. But what do you say? You want to eat my pussy? And then see what she says. The worst she can say is no. Then you laugh and shrug it off and go fuck somebody else. But she could say yes. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. No risk, no reward. No effort, no pussy. Good luck. Uh, hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 41-year-old straight male. I've been dating a woman now for about seven months, and things are going great. Uh, we've talked about you know, having a future together, uh, specifically having children together. And then the topic of vaccinations came up. And it turned out that she's a pretty ardent anti-vaxxer, which I think is just a steaming pile of horseshit based on, like, you know, it just belongs in, like, the, the shit heap along with, like, you know, like, the secret and, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, but she's pretty adamant about it. I love this woman so much. But, I mean, could this be a deal-breaker? Yeah, you know, I can't have children with somebody who's going to not vaccinate them because my children are getting vaccinated. And if her children aren't getting vaccinated, then those children can't be our children. Should I campaign and try to dissuade her? Or is this like, is this a deal breaker? Is this that a complete? It's going to be the irreconcilable difference that will eventually tear our relationship asunder. I don't know. I'm really scared and worried because I really love this woman. Joining me by phone to handle this one with tongs. Dr. Jonathan Golub, he's a PhD in stem cell biology uh, from the University of Washington. Is that correct? Yep. And he's a doctor working in the field of infectious diseases. And this guy just so happens to be dating a woman who wants to do everything she can to spread infectious diseases through the vector that will one day be her child. So what's your advice to this guy besides stop fucking this woman immediately? I think that's unfortunately probably the only answer. Um, you know, this is a big, important question, how to convince people who are just nuts and won't vaccinate their children. Um, uh, people have looked at everything you could think of, talking about the diseases like measles, mumps, rubella, um, whooping cough. They're horrible. Uh, you can show pictures of the disease. You can talk through a story of the disease. It, it, it doesn't work. And you, can, um, and you can now point to outbreaks of these diseases that had almost nearly been eradicated or were very, very rare, like whooping cough outbreaks now because of these anti-vaxxing nutbags. Exactly. 
And, and it's and it's other people's children, not just your stupid child anti-vaxxing not bag who gets sick, but other people's children because you're also destroying not just your child's immunity but herd immunity. Exactly, and and it's and then not only that, you're making the lives of children who have things like cancer worse. Kids who can't get vaccinated for legitimate reasons. Where where did this where did this come? You know, just observing this over the years, the anti-vax thing is to the left what climate change denialism is to the right. That it does seem to be mostly lefty, progressive, hippie, conspiracy theorists, nutbags who are anti-vaccine, and they're the mirror image of the right-wing conspiracy theory nutbags who don't who believe that there's some conspiracy around climate change and scientists have made all this up. And then, and both are fixed in the delusion. There's, there's the more evidence you show people, the less they get convinced that, or the le- the more their mind gets made up that vaccination is bad. Um, and it's been tried. The, the I don't know. I mean, there's original paper out of now completely discredited from a doctor in the UK who lost his medical license that pointed to some potential link between autism and the MMR vaccine, which has been completely discredited. One of the most heavily studied questions in all of medicine, and it is absolutely positively not true. And uh, But people hold on to this. I, I don't have a good explanation. It's just it continues it's to circulate. That study, it continues to circulate. I've seen it popping up online even today, despite the fact that it has been completely discredited. And, and then you look at a credible study, the journal Pediatrics, which is the premier peer-reviewed actual scientific journal looking at the health of children and just did a gigantic study um, looking systematically at everything that's ever been reported on vaccines causing harm and found almost nothing. Vaccines, it actually shows, are one of the safest medical interventions that we do, safer than antibiotics, safer than getting into the hospital and just getting saltwater infusions. It is, it is one of the most definitive things I can say in medicine is that vaccines are incredibly safe. Not to say that nothing is 100%, but they're, they're by far the safest intervention to deal with these diseases, which are horrible. Okay, so we've just told this guy not to fuck this woman anymore, lest he accidentally get her pregnant and then she has to face this. But maybe there should be stealth vaccine reasonable people, people who believe in science and believe in vaccines, because they should, because the facts and the evidence and the science support vaccinating children. Maybe we should have them all go out and marry an anti-vax idiot and then sneakily have their children vaccinated without telling the anti-vax idiot. That, like, you know, if, if this guy had called two years into this relationship and they were already married and she was pregnant and he'd found this out now... The advice might be, okay, tell her you won't get the kid vaccinated and then go to your pediatrician and say, we're going to do this on the down low. We're going to vaccinate this kid. You can do that. I mean, the other thing that that actually does work a little bit is in the way things have been working recently is you can say, look, if we do not vaccinate our kids, they can't go to daycare. If we do not vaccinate our kids, they cannot go to school. And, you know, I'm not volunteering to sit at home. I, I don't know. You know, the only thing that seems to work is sort of to be a little sneaky about it. Get people talking about the, why they believe that vaccines are bad and let them come to their own realization that it's a, it's a bunch of horseshit. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it it's, doesn't look good. Again, this has been an area of actual study and trying to change people's minds on this point, like trying to change people's minds on climate change that are, are resolute. They just dig um, in. They dig in and they claim you're attacking their beliefs. And it, it get, and these beliefs get seem to get like integrated in and weaved in at a very deep level. It's it's very very hard to change, and I, I would not go into the, with the assumption like like religion. It's faith based. They believe something for which they have no proof. They ha- you have no proof that climate change isn't happening. We have tons that it is, 
And yet you have this faith-based ideology that it isn't happening. And the same thing with these vaccine nutbags. It's of a piece with that irrationality that's just shot through our culture. And, it, and it's and it's and it's and it's an immensely selfish. Actually, the caller's point. You know, this is this is a sociopathic response in some levels to say, I don't want to put my child at risk. I'm more than willing to risk anyone else, even when the risks are extraordinarily low, and the benefits are very high to you and everyone around you. Not to belabor a point, I think that most people would agree on, but these are horrible diseases that should not exist any longer, and do strictly because we're we are allowing people to not be responsible. So when you science guys get together and get just fucking shit faced in a bar, do you end up weeping on each other's shoulders about the climate change denialists, about these anti-vax people? Where do you think this all has come from? This, this, this denial of empirical evidence or this refusal to face up to it, this magical thinking in not just the area of vaccines, but in other areas as well, it must be tremendously crushingly depressing to people in your field. It feels like being strapped to a bomb. Um, and, and these are not little things. I mean, the climate change is even probably a bigger problem. It's, it's, it's actively affecting us now um, when we're doing essentially nothing to deal with it. Forget about trying to prevent it, even to start to prepare for it. Um, it's, it's very frustrating. I wish I knew. I have, I have no answer why. Um, and I, I think we, we, in general, it's not known very well. Uh, on things like climate change, there's a lot of propaganda. On things like vaccination, it's, it's a little bit mystifying to me. I, I wish we could take, say, Jenny McCarthy off of what show is she on? Is the View. The, we wish we could take her off and take like a hard-bitten, experienced Bronx pediatrician and put her on that show and just... Or like fire Dr. Oz and put put. <laughs> you might get your wish because uh, Jenny McCarthy was just fired from The View. So oh, she was. You should write to the producers and and advocate for hiring a Bronx hard nosed uh, pediatrician who can talk about what she's seen. My, my theory, I have a theory about perhaps what's informed or fueled this anti-vax nonsense, which is the efficacy and success of vaccination. Because these childhood diseases really did recede away. It, it did become kind of an abstract threat because they were so suppressed and, uh, by the vaccine. And it created this space for people to blow in and say, you don't need these vaccines. And actually, the vaccines are dangerous. The, the vaccines are something you're doing, and you're doing this dangerous thing to protect your kid from whooping cough. Who do you know has ever had whooping cough? And uh, and now, of course, people do know people with whooping cough because these anti-vax idiots. <laughs> so I, I practice at, at some of my time at Harborview, our county hospital that takes care of a lot of immigrants. Um, and people coming from countries where there's still is measles. There's still people who have grown up and seen measles and mumps and rubella and whooping cough and seen the horrible things it does to children. Um, and they are the exact opposite. They're usually furious that we're not vaccinating more quickly and, not, and, and upset that we're, we don't start vaccination until a couple months of age. Um, and so it is. I, completely, I think that's absolutely a part. And it, it bears worth mentioning that vaccines as a medicine, as a treatment, are one of the most natural things in an odd way. It, it's like a chaperone blind date for these infections. It, it, is, it is about as natural of a treatment or, or prevention for a disease one can do. All vaccines are, are being exposed to either a broken version or a dead version of an infection. 
and allowing your body to get used to it and prepare to fight it off when it sees the real thing. And this is why I, I'm old enough, I think you're old enough, that we both got chicken pox as a kid. And mm-hmm. we don't get chicken pox a second time. Now kids get, can get vaccinated against chicken pox by receiving a version of the virus that is no longer able to cause chicken pox, but is close enough to be able to teach the body how to fight off chicken pox if it sees it. Same thing with polio. Same things with measles, bump, and rubella. It's, it's I, in a weird way for particularly people who feel like they want to do things more naturally. It's, it's far more natural to get vaccinated against whooping cough than to end up in an ICU on a ventilator receiving antibiotics. There's nothing natural about that. Um, and, and so vaccines are, and are one of the oldest treatments that we have. They go right back to uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. The beginning um, of modern science. Even even predating it to an extent, um, probably the first version of Western medicine or scientific medicine that that really became into common practice and worked. Um, and it's so it's, it, that's the other logical thing that just drives me up the wall is that there's there's nothing natural about getting sick and modern medical treatments for these preventable illnesses um, so let, and the let, vaccine. Let's bring it back to the, this guy's problem and the, the mm-hmm. nutbag woman he's dating. So our advice, your advice, in a nutshell, what, what should he do? He can try talking with her honestly. Make, um, make her listen to these, this podcast. Make her listen to everything that Dr. Golub just said. And I would even just start the conversation. Let her, let her talk. Let her explain why you don't want to vaccinate. And then explain, have him explain himself. And if they can't agree, her mind is never going to be changed. And keep, that, that's what the hard data would show. Her mind is never going to be changed. And, it's, and I, would, I would be done with her. I would keep my dick away from her. Or insist, <laughs> insist only on anal until you've resolved this issue. Thank you, Dr. Jonathan Golub. Just thank you. Thank you. That was very informative even to me. I thought I knew uh, quite a bit about vaccines, but I learned a lot listening to you. So thanks for jumping on the phone. Thanks for having me. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old straight man living in the Midwest, and I have a really hard situation on my hands I'm willing to get advice for. I found out a few days ago that my ex-girlfriend is pregnant, and even though we're broken up, I still care about her a lot, and I want what's best for her. She is adamantly wanting to keep the baby. She hooked up with a neighbor of hers, I guess, about a month ago. And it was kind of one of the things that they were friends and they kind of drank and had awkward sex. And now she's pregnant. I'd be okay with her wanting to keep the baby if she could support it. But I don't know if she can. She hasn't worked in a couple of years. Before we met, she was in treatment for eating disorder, something she struggled with for seven years and even when we met in March 2013 she had just come out of rehab for that and you know there was still a lot of work to be done it was a struggle of our year-long relationship Uh, she was also got very sick last year and was forced to miss school she's currently in in hair school she couldn't she couldn't go to school for months and it got her way behind the 10-month programs now taking over a year and a half and the program pretty much allows it where you can't get a job because you're so busy. And the program costs $17,000 money she doesn't have. So pretty much she's stayed afloat from help from her parents financially, even though they're terrible people and don't support her in nearly anything. And support for me. I mean, even the last few months we've been broken up. I've, I've sent her money just so she can buy food. So she's pregnant with a guy that, you know, sex one time and boom, pregnant. Here he has a five-year-old, pays child support. 
I don't think he can afford to help, even though I guess he's being supportive and he's a nice guy. So got that going for him. And then besides all those things, she also has some very serious medical issues. She was a premature baby. She has underdeveloped kidneys. And, you know, there was lots of times last year where we were at the nephrologist and getting lab work done and, and, and really struggling. Babies are stuck in bed with her kidneys. And I just don't know if she can handle pregnancy. So I talked to her. I, she knows that I think she should end the pregnancy. She's dead fast on keeping it. She says that she already loves her, even though it's four weeks long and no idea what the sex of the baby is. And I just don't know if there's anything I can do. I mean, it's just, it's 2014. She she can she can go get an abortion. There's nothing wrong with it. She, there shouldn't be any stigma attached to that. She's not ready for a baby. She lives in a 200-square-foot studio. She doesn't pay for it. I mean, it's not the right way to bring a baby into the world. And I just don't know what to do. Quick point of clarification here, point of order. Not your girlfriend, not your semen, not your baby, right? Not your problem. I know it can be painful to watch somebody that you used to have feelings for, that you may feel empathy still for, nuke their life and nuke someone else's life and nuke some other innocent third party to be birth later's life in the process. But there's really nothing you can do to save someone who is bent on this kind of self and other destruction. And you don't want to get sucked in and pulled under with them. And you can't force her to have an abortion. You can't force her to do the right thing. You don't have a time machine. You can't go back and put a condom on that dude's dick. There's nothing you can do. If you've advised her to get an abortion, you've done everything that you can do. You can send her to openadopt.org if you want her to learn a little bit about open adoption, that there's a choice between abortion and parenting. Send her to openadopt.org. But beyond that, you got to stop being her Saturday morning cartoon superhero. No more money, no more shoulder to cry on, not your girlfriend, not your semen, not your baby, not your problem. There are people out there who generate drama and generate problems because it's how they get attention. It's how they pull people into their lives. It's how they pull focus onto themselves. And so you rushing in there, every time she hits the self-destruct button, may make you feel like you're a good guy, you're doing the right thing, you're helping her out. You're incentivizing her hitting the self-destruct button. And maybe she is going to self-destruct. Maybe she is that self-destructive. Still, there are people that you cannot save from their own self-destructive impulses. And it is a fool's errand to try. And it perversely incentivizes the self-destructiveness if it gets someone like her the kind of attention she wants when she slams her hand down on that button. So, tell her you're very sorry about the fix that she's in. Tell her, in your opinion, she should probably have an abortion. Wish her well and move the fuck on. Hey, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old lesbian in the Midwest who has an issue. Um, I feel like I read as straight to just about everybody that I meet. And this in spite of the fact that um, I've been dating women for a long time. I love women. I fuck women. But I feel like as much as I can have some success online or in situations where it's very clear that I'm gay, like if I'm with my girlfriend and I'm meeting new people, um, I feel like I really frequently end up running against issues where I'll be meeting people in the workplace or I'll be meeting other people in social occasions where it isn't immediately clear that I'm a lesbian. And I miss out on a lot of opportunities to get to actually get to know people and maybe have attractions and relationships and things like that. 
Um, and I'm really confused about how I can potentially better broadcast my lesbianism without falling into a stereotype that doesn't really fit me. So I was interested in your advice on this. How can I better come across as the sexual orientation that I am so that I can meet people without having to explicitly say, I eat pussy, it's nice to meet you. It's odd how sometimes the questions come in waves. We'll suddenly get a whole lot of questions on uh, on a certain subject or from a certain kind of person. Uh, and when we get a whole lot of questions from a certain kind of lesbian person, we get a lot of dyke questions all in a row. Uh, I sometimes like to go out and find a lesbian to a guest expert with me on the show. And when I heard your question, caller, and you were talking about how could you better broadcast your lesbianism, it occurred to me that the best person to talk about broadcasting their lesbianism might be a lesbian who broadcasts her lesbianism. Ariel Scarcella is a YouTuber, an LGBT activist, president of her own nonprofit called Project Toasty. She'll tell us about that in a minute. And she makes wonderful, hilarious, really informative videos uh, on YouTube. And hilarious and informative are a great combo when you're doing sex ed or you're educating people about sexual minorities. And you should go to YouTube and look her up. Look up her videos, 10 Ways to Be a Trans Ally, No Lesbian Bed Dads, Sex with Virgins, Shit Girls Say the Lesbian, If Vaginas Could Talk, Lesbians Can't Be Sluts, How Two Girls Have Sex, and on and on and on. And they're really great. And uh, Ariel joins me now by phone from New York City. Hey, Ariel. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, fantastic. It's so great to finally talk to you. I'm such a fan of your stuff. I'm a fan of your stuff, too, but you know that. <laughs> well, the Mutual Appreciation Society uh, meeting concludes, and now the question itself. Like, <laughs> does this woman need to get I Eat Pussy tattooed on her forehead? Here's what I would say to that. I don't technically, you know, read... You can't really read as a lesbian. That's really, you know, you would be going by stereotypes. So I think with feminine women... I think really what has to happen because they they don't you know look lesbian. What you really mean is you don't look butch. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to go and make the first move. I really do. You have to say it. Yeah, you have to be like, hey, you know, like make the first move on a girl that you find attractive. Don't wait for them to come to you. You know, it's maybe that's falling into gender stereotypes. You know, if you're if you're quote the woman, you're waiting to you know for the butch woman to hit on you instead, but. Especially not in the lesbian community. It doesn't always work like that. She seems to be also frustrated by the thought that when she's in a new social situation or starting a new job, that her coworkers and colleagues don't immediately go, hey, you're a lesbian, just by looking at her. So what's the best approach when you're in a new environment and you're a dyke who's not butch and you want people to know, God damn it, that you're a dyke? Yeah, I think, I think visibility is incredibly important. But it's also important to not be obnoxious about it. Like, you don't walk into the new job and be like, hey, guys, I eat pussy, you know? <laughs> maybe maybe you don't. I, I've done that once or twice just to break the ice. But, like, yesterday in my yoga studio, we were talking about, I don't know, relationships or something like that. And, you know, just very casually, just like I would if I were a straight woman, I mentioned that, you know, I had an ex-girlfriend or whatever it was. So, like, right away they know that at least they know I'm not straight, you know? And then if you're open enough about it and you seem confident and saying, what you are, they'll probably ask you more, like to talk more, which they did. They were like, Oh, are you bi? Are you gay? And I'm like, you know, I'm gay, blah, blah, blah. You know? And then none of them felt uncomfortable. I feel like it's, it just has to do with confidence, but not, but not ego. I feel like when you're egotistical, you come across as annoying. And I think that's the line that has to be drawn, which can be difficult at times. So uh, setting aside her silly problem, let's talk about your YouTube channel for a minute. What inspired you to create it? And are you one of those YouTubers who makes a living doing this? I am a full-time YouTuber, yes. A full-time YouTuber? What the fuck is a full-time YouTuber? A full-time YouTuber. Well, I also write for SheWired, which is owned by The Advocate. So I, I write articles for them and stuff, too. 
And I also run my own not-for-profit, which I'm just going to start funding very soon. Um, so I, I kind of have three little, three big jobs, I guess, mm-hmm. all in, into one, which helps me sustain myself. And, and, what, but, um, and your videos seem to be mostly about educating people about the queer community, but a lot of them are directed mm-hmm. at queers to educate queers about the queer community, about other queers in the queer yeah. community. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think that comes across because because it is a queer educating other queers uh, about the queer community. Because if I was, if I was um, a straight woman talking about gay stuff, it wouldn't read the same. Mm-hmm. So just being a lesbian, people are automatically going to relate to me because they're also a lesbian. So that just comes with the territory, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important that, you know, there's a lot of gay on gay hate. Everybody knows that. But maybe not. Maybe that. Maybe that's also why I'm doing these videos. Maybe not everybody knows. And I feel like, you know, in order to empower ourselves, we need to come together. And that's why I've done videos like lesbians that have sex with men, because, you know, if straight girls can experiment and still be straight, why can't lesbians experiment and still be gay? I don't know. Uh, That's the question that I ask. Every time I take a call from someone who says they're a lesbian and then the call is about them fucking a dude, I get in all this trouble with lesbians who are mad at me for putting it Mm -hmm. out there in the world that lesbians can be had, that... You know, I'm putting it into my straight male listeners' heads that every lesbian is down with dick every once in a while. So you might as well go hit on that lesbian over there. You don't get that same right. kind of grief when you do a video like I lesbians do. Have sex with dudes. Well, I do. I understand where people are coming from when they when they're upset, but at the same time, just because you know, I made a video about this, I made a video about everything. <laughs> but just because you know, I, it was called lesbian misogyny, and it was all about how there's a lot of misogyny with. You know, obviously with women, straight women, but also with lesbians, because most people would think, oh, they're, they're more manly. They don't get treated as such. But it's like, yeah, you do, because if you're if you're a guy and you're hitting on a lesbian, but you don't know she's a lesbian. And, you know, it's safer for us to say that we have a boyfriend rather than say we have a girlfriend, because you don't uh, respect another woman the same way you would respect a man. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for. When when somebody hears that, oh, a lesbian has sex with guys, that means that every lesbian has sex with guys. Of course, it doesn't. But in their head, once you go dick, you don't go back. Well, that was my experience. It, it sounds like they're very serious. Like when, when you unpack like what it is you're doing with the videos and uh, the kind of education you're giving and combating, I wouldn't call it you know queer and queer hate. I often think it's just queer and queer ignorance. Like once you're gay and right. out and you're a gay man, you can tend to drift off into a world where there are no lesbians and you can then tootle along in complete ignorance about lesbianism. Uh, until you then blunder into a situation where you're with lesbians and you say absolutely all the wrong things because you just don't know because you're an idiot. Um, right. So I think a lot of that gay and gay hate is just gay and gay ignorance and education is the cure, right? Um, absolutely. But it I makes agree. your videos yeah. sound like kind of dour or scolding or hectoring, and they're not. Your videos are hilarious. No, thank you. No, all my, I feel like in order to actually educate someone, you have to make them feel comfortable, and the best way is to make someone laugh. And that was always my goal from day one was to have it's I, I like to say my videos are comedy with a hint of education and inspiration in some in some cases, in most cases. Um, I mean you don't want to feel like you're being educated. Nobody wants to feel that way unless you're paying college paying a school apparently. And not but even them. You wanna right, not even them, right. You know, you wanna go into something, especially if you feel like you don't belong there. You wanna feel like that you're oh look at this this lesbians even making fun of other lesbians you mm-hmm. know i don't feel as bad because it's not like a straight guy is going to wander on my channel and feel like oh like she's going to hate on me it's like no i don't hate on straight guys you know i'll hate on lesbians for hating on straight guys <laughs> <laughs> because then, then the straight guys will be like oh she's chill 
She's you know? on our side. And then maybe maybe later on I'll do a video about straight guys being stupid, but they know I love them. That's well, let's right. uh, let's keep the education going. Let's take an, another question. Hey, Dan. This is a lesbian female from the Portland area in a monogamous relationship. My question for you is, how can I spice up my sex life? Lately, my libido just feels really down, and I know my partner's wanting sex a lot more than I, and I want to make her happy, but it's just honestly lately not in the mood. So I know I need to work hard at it in order to keep both of us happy. So you've done a video about lesbian bed death. I have. <laughs> it's definitely a real thing. It is a real yeah. thing, right? Yes. And, and so I'm just not being like a sexist pig when I say this is a thing. In, in science, in sex research land, what you hear from a lot of sex researchers, and we've mentioned this phrase on the show before, is that often the case with, with men is men get horny and want to have sex. And with a lot of women, women begin to have sex and then get horny. So if you have a relationship with a man and a woman, there's going to be an instigator there. And of course, generalizing about you know 3.5 billion men, 3.5 billion women, there'll be hundreds of millions of exceptions. The odds of the exceptions to listen to a show like this are really high. Um, but, you know, if it's an opposite sex relationship, there's a dude who's going to get horny and instigate and she's going to get horny after, you know, the instigation. But you have right. two, two, if you have two women in a relationship, the odds are higher that you could have two people both waiting for the other to initiate. Right. And it also goes into the idea, of, again, of gender roles and women being passive aggressive bitches, right? Like <laughs> both of them, both of them don't want to initiate. Both of them want to be the woman. Or they feel um, ashamed about wanting to have sex or ashamed of not wanting to have sex and they don't voice their, you know, feelings. And then, you know, you just go months at a time without doing it. And then you're like, what the fuck? Like, how did we get here kind of thing? Have you been um, in that position? Have you wound up in a I've, lesbian bed death relationship? One time. But it's actually kind of funny because we were only together for four months. So I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but... but how, wait, how, how quickly does the sex have to drop off if four months in you realize the sex is dead? I know. I know. It was, it was a very strange relationship. We'll just say that. But So what's your recommendation I, I think, for, for women who are lesbians who fear lesbian bed death if it hasn't happened to them yet? How do you, how do you lesbian bed death proof your relationship? Well, well, what you resist will persist. We'll put it out there to the universe, okay? If you don't want something to happen, it's going to happen. So don't even think about it happening. Wow, that's kind of that's kind of woohoo. Yeah, it's uh, the secret kind of a thing. <laughs> but it, it does make a lot of sense, right? Because if you focus on one thing and you're not, like, instead of being focused on something not happening, you should be focused on, it, you know, it coming to fruition. Oh, so instead of worrying about the, the sex dying, why don't you just worry about let's fuck? Then yeah, the exactly. That's my die. point. That's okay. my point. Right. Because in my last relationship, the one that was the lesbian by death, I kept complaining in, in my own head, at least. When are we going to do it? When, why aren't we doing it? Why isn't it happening? And of course, it didn't happen because I didn't open my mouth. Why didn't she do it either? I have no idea, but I can't count on the other person, you know, to initiate it every time. That was my fault, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so in your relationships, do you tend to be the initiator or the initiated? Uh, I tend to be the initiated. For sure. <laughs> really? That's not the impression I would have yeah. gotten from your videos. I would think you would just be tearing uh, it up. That's why I have a problem dating. <laughs> <laughs> you should work on that. Now, now, advice for this caller in specific. You know, they're not having as much sex as they used to. Maybe they're careening towards lesbian bed death. And she says, this is the person who's like not horny, not into it. She's blaming she can't find the right erotica. She has these fantasies, but she hasn't put them on the table or explored them yet. It seems to me like... She needs to take some responsibility here. Go find the fucking porn that works for her if that's the key. And suggest doing the things that she wants to do that turn her on. Why is she being so passive? Right. Right. Don't, exactly. Exactly. Don't feel ashamed of, of what turns you on. Like, I'm doing a video on Sunday about how when I was a kid, 
my friend had a life-size Barbie doll and I thought she was hot. Like, I was like nine years old, right? Mm-hmm. But it, like, I don't have a doll fetish or anything, but, you know, be open to those things that sound ridiculous because sometimes, you know, nothing else is working. But at the same time, I'm not sure about men, but I know women's hormones change every seven years. So she might just be going through a little phase and not want it as much. And then next month or next year, she might be like, boom, I want it every day. So you have to be uh, understanding to your body. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be hitting on yourself or something that you might not necessarily be able to control. But, but if she's partnered, does she have a responsibility to, even if she's not feeling it right now, to make sure her partner I don't think it's milked? anybody's, yeah, I don't think it's anyone's responsibility to fuck anyone. I don't care if you're married or anything, you know, because you can always masturbate. And people mis- masturbate in relationships, you know, even if they are getting sex. So it's like, <laughs> well, no, I, agree, I agree with you there that you can, you can masturbate, you can drain your own uh, sack, uh, as we would say at our house. But I do think that, you know, you know, I do think being a long-term, particularly a monogamous relationship, that there's, right. there's a responsibility there. Like you've bought a cow, you got to fucking milk it. You're a dairyman now, like milk the goddamn cow. And it's, right. a, it's a, you know, it's one thing to say like, I'm not feeling it this week. I'm stressed out, whatever. It's a different right. thing. And I get these questions all the time from people who are with someone who hasn't fucked them for, for, 10, for 10 fucking years. Right. I and I look it. at no, that. Yeah, I don't know if I get to do that. I look at that and think, you know, your partner isn't obligated at all times to, you know, meet your needs. Your partner's your partner, not your employee and, and not a sex worker. But come on. Right. You've been sexually abandoned and you either end this relationship or you open it. Those are the only options. The good thing about lesbianism is that you don't necessarily have to be penetrated if you're not in the mood. You could just go down. That's a good know, thing about straight, being gay, too. Right, right, exactly. With straight, well, straight couples, too, we're talking about the head, but, you know, just physical penetration. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I, I'm always telling straight people that they would get laid more if it didn't, if straight sex didn't mean vaginal intercourse. Like, if somebody always right. has to be penetrated, it always has to be her. That's a huge disincentive to say yes. If yes always right. means I get fucked, I would say yes less often. Right. That in a gay relationship, because queer relationships, this is our superpower over straight relationships, is that, right. you know, all of our sexual encounters begin with what are you into? And you can put anything in, anything out. You can throw anything on the table. You can rule anything in or out, depending on how you right. feel. And straight relationships, they don't have that what are you into conversation. Because if you're straight and you're going to bed, you're going to, she's going to get fucked. Right. And if you exactly. define more things as sex and fulfilling, including non-penetrative sex, including just masturbating and rolling around, you'll have more sex. That's true. And it'll be Very more true. fulfilling. It's why we queers, you and I, Ariel, it's why we queers have better sex lives than those straight people do. I, I would agree with that, definitely. Um, I have a question for you about bisexual. They're dating a bisexual. So I am a lesbian woman in my 30s, and I've been dating a bisexual woman for probably the last um, nine, ten months. Now, she has a very um, diverse past. She's been with men and she's been with women, though the bulk of her more serious relationships have been with men, and she didn't start dating women until a little bit later on in life. And my question for you is um, how to sort of wrestle with or navigate issues of feeling a little bit uncomfortable dating a bisexual person. And I'm ashamed to say this because... I would like to be open-minded. I think of myself as an open-minded person. And sort of behaviors and ways she acts in our relationship that, to me, really mimic um, how she might interact or relate with a man. And it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, and it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. And I don't want to come across as biphobic or even attribute it to her bisexuality, but it can't help 
but creep into my mind from time to time. And they're just little things she does, like um, the, the sort of roles that she expects to take on in a relationship. She would want me to be more um, dominant. She acts much more cutesy. Um, she sort of treats me in the way that I imagine a straight girl would treat her male partner, or I've seen my straight friends treat their male partners. And, of course, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, and it's not something that I've really experienced before and not a role that I would take on that naturally. And she does things like she'll dress up for me in lingerie, which is great, but it's nothing I've ever had any, like, lesbian partners do before. So I, I it just something that, that men might expect and she would do for men, but maybe isn't necessarily something that I've experienced in most relationships before. And like, even the way she talks in bed is, I feel like she's just sort of like mimicking or parroting stuff she's heard in porn, which maybe men have said to her and now she's saying to me. And it all makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I know it's not fair to say because she's bisexual, she's doing these things, because, of course, not all bisexual women would do these things. But with her, I do sort of feel like she's expecting me to take on the place of her male partners or the male partners she's had in the past and just kind of play the same role. And her behavior remains the same. And it's not really necessarily working for me. I like her, and she's great. And I don't think there's a necessary future there, but I enjoy her for now. And... I'm wondering how I go about addressing this. It seems like such tender territory. I don't want to upset her or come across as um, prejudiced or something like that, but it definitely is a real concern. So I'd love your thoughts on this one. You've done a lot of videos about uh, bisexuality because there's a lot of bullshit and biphobia out there in, in lesbian communities, and you've done a really good job unpacking and exploring it. I don't detect any biphobia here necessarily. No, I'm not biphobic. I do get called biphobic a lot, though. Uh, I, do I do, too. Just because because I post videos about bisexuals and how a lot of lesbians do feel about them. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I stick up to lesbians because, you know, if you're, if you're mislabeling yourself, if there is such a thing, you know, and you're calling yourself a bisexual, but you're really a straight girl who's just fucking around, you know, and you're a lesbian and believing that bisexual could be a true bisexual, then, you know, you're going to have a bad experience and, you know, you can't. It's not fair to hate on true bisexuals for that, but at the same time, I understand where lesbians come from. Yeah, we're both going to get called biphobic now for this because I, I kind of agree with you. There's a lot of damage that you can't say this. We're gonna, I'm blaming the victims of biphobia, but you know, a, a guy who is only open to relationships with women but is bisexual but heteroamorous, right. uh, which I think is a be- Beautiful, a great and necessary phase. Bisexual, heteroamorous, only wants relationships with women, but wants to fuck men. Some of those guys will mislead men who are gay, let them think or assume that they're open to dating them or open to gay relationships when they're not. And they will leave a trail of romantic carnage in their wake because they will do that to guy after guy after guy after guy while they will only have like one long-term relationship with a woman – at a time, but they will break gay guys' hearts over and over and over again. And that can lead a lot of gay guys to make shitty, awful statements about bisexual guys because they've been hurt by a lying, heteroamorous, bisexual dude who wasn't disclosing, who wasn't honest right. up front, which is ridiculous. They should be honest up front because there's plenty of gay dudes who will suck off a hot, heteroamorous, bisexual guy, right? There's right. no shortage of gay guys who will jump in bed with a hot bi guy. There's no reason to lie or mislead. I, at the same time, though, I, I also, and this is like from extensive research, you know, asking all my friends and my hundreds of thousands of people that watch me, I truly do believe that there are more women 
who are only sexually bisexual and not romantically bisexual as well. I feel like there's a lot more women that are heteroromantic and bisexual than, you know, bi biromantic bisexual. And that, you know, there are a lot of, you know, there are plenty of, you know, people that are true and true, true and true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's much more difficult to come by them, uh, especially when you're young. I feel like that's the main thing. A lot of these people that watch my videos or that are online, like in these conversations with us, are very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they are, you know, truly bisexual, they're probably not going to want to settle down anyway. So it's going to be a lot of, you know, judgment going on to okay. begin with. So let's talk about this lesbian's problems. Lesbian in her 30s, she's dating a bi woman. And, uh, you know, my heart aches for her because her girlfriend dresses up in lingerie and says dirty things in bed um, and wants her to be her dom. Uh, What a tragedy. How sad for her. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I listened to that and thought, oh, my God, your girlfriend wants to put on lingerie and this is is a problem? To me, it sounds like the woman who wrote to you is either a verse or a bottom and doesn't like the idea of topping all the time because it makes her feel too masculine or, you know, it just makes her, most of the girls I've been with, uh, I say most as if it's been a lot. Um, <laughs> all of the girls I've been with, in fact, have, have been versatile for the most part. I don't think it's easy for a woman to be a complete cock. It's like, I feel like it's almost not in our nature. You know, I feel like it's, it would be easier for a guy just because of gender stereotypes. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong with the gay, gay men stuff. Well, I think she's. I think there's a stereotype at play here in this lesbian's head that there's no such yeah. thing as a lesbian woman. Setting aside the whole bi issue, there's no such thing as a lesbian woman who wants to be submissive, who would rather their partner be the dom, who likes dressing up in lingerie, who wants to be talked dirty to in bed. Mm-hmm. That everything she says about you know her girlfriend and she attributes to her bisexuality and her history with uh, relationships with men. I know lesbians who have never been with men who wear lingerie who say dirty, porny things. So she's attributing to bisexuality what could just be this woman's preferences in the sack and in relationship, irrespective of her bisexuality. Yeah. I, don't think it, I don't think it's actually right. I don't think it's attributing to her, her sexual orientation. I think she's just the pillow princess, whether she's with a guy or a girl. I really think that's what it is. I think she just wants to be the bottom and wants to be submissive. The only biphobic thing at play here is this woman taking these personality traits that lesbians sometimes have, that bi people, straight people have, and attributing them all to this woman's bisexuality and her history with men, as opposed to seeing them as just like, this is what my girlfriend likes and who my girlfriend is. Right. And am I the right partner for my girlfriend? If this is what she wants, is this what I want to be? Is this what makes me happy? And set aside the like history with dudes and dick. That's irrelevant. Right. Ariel Scarcella, go to YouTube, go to youtube.com slash Ariel, A-R-I-E-L-L-E, to see her wonderful and hilarious and informative uh, videos and to uh, support her career as a YouTuber, which wasn't a career 10 years ago, but is a career now. Thank you for jumping on the phone with us today, Ariel. It was really fun talking with you. Thank you, Dan. Hi, I'm a 24-year-old woman, and I got married about a year ago. And my husband and I were recently celebrating our one-year anniversary. And I happened to go through, you know, his internet just because I was looking for something we were looking at earlier. And I saw that he had been looking um, at a porn website. You know, I'm not very upset that he was doing that necessarily, but it it wasn't just porn. It was um, live webcam. And he had been looking at someone who looks like me. I'm a full-figured blonde woman, and he was looking at full-figured blonde women videos. 
and it feels like a betrayal because we had discussed that we wouldn't do things like this um, in our past. And I'm just not really sure what to think. I don't know if it's worse that he was looking at someone who looks like me or if that's a good thing. I I don't know. I'm, like, I don't really trust him and he's sort of denying that he was actually doing it, which makes it kind of worse. When you say we had discussed that we wouldn't do things like this in the past, you make that sound like you had reached a, some sort of consensus. What I believe is likelier to have happened is that you issued an ultimatum. You threw down, you're not allowed to look at porn, and he acquiesced. He told you, perhaps under a certain degree of duress, what you wanted to hear, which is that he wouldn't look at porn. You don't sound like you're much of a porn consumer yourself, right? You're not really making a sacrifice not looking at porn, but you're asking your male partner, your husband, not to look at porn. And I am here to tell you that all men look at porn. All of them. All of them. The only workable fix to the porn conflict that plagues so many opposite sex relationships and not all women are anti-porn or freaked out or insecure about porn but typically in a relationship with a conflict over porn it's the woman who has a problem with it the fix that works is he pretends not to look at porn and you pretend to believe him he does what he can to keep evidence hidden away he demonstrates a certain degree of consideration in hiding his tracks. And you, if you uncover it every once in a while, because you snooped and you snooped, if you snoop and find evidence that he's doing this thing that you should just assume he's doing anyway, then you repay his consideration and doing his best to cover his tracks by ignoring it, by turning the occasional blind eye. That is the only solution that works. Not a, we discussed it. We wouldn't do things like this in the past. That is not a solution that works. That is a prescription for the conflict you're having now, the betrayal you're feeling now. You are the author of this shitstorm. And it's really hard for me to have sympathy for you. Also, I didn't sleep last night, so I'm kind of a bitch today. And I apologize to everyone who's <laughs> unlucky enough to have their calls laid before Bitchy Dan today. Also... You say that you are squicked out or you don't know how to feel about the fact that the women he's looking at look like you for fuck's sake. Do you know how many women out there, when they do their bullshit snooping, uncover porn that looks nothing like them? They're, and then they, get, they have the big weird out insecurities about that. I'm skinny and he was looking at BBW porn. That was a call we got very recently. I'm a cisgendered female and he was looking at trans woman porn. Ah, pick your freak out. You just would have freaked out one way or the other because you just don't like porn. Because looking at porn that looks like you, you're going to have a problem with that. Looking at the porn that doesn't look anything like you, you're going to have a problem with that. Looking at gay porn, looking at bi porn, looking at trans porn, looking at whatever. You just don't want him looking at porn. And at some point early in your relationship, because he knows how upset it makes you that he might, like all other men, look at porn, he told you that he wouldn't. That was the agreement you came to in that discussion where he told you what you wanted to hear. Well, now you get to have a new discussion, which is, you know what, honey, you're probably going to look at porn every once in a while like all men do. You're going to do your best to keep it on the down low and not rub it in my face, not neglect me, not do anything that might make me feel inadequate. And I'll do my best not to fucking snoop, lady. Not to go looking for evidence of what you know is happening and you know upsets you. Don't snoop. And then call me like you're the victim here, like you're the wounded party. What about his right to some privacy and, and a private sphere zone of his own? 
where he occasionally looks at other naked ladies. A lot of what this porn insecurity ties into is this fear that so many of us have, and it's not just a girl thing or a woman thing or a wife thing. It can be a boy thing and a husband thing and a man thing that we're not enough for our partners. Well, you know what? We're not enough for our partners. We should all just accept that. You are not enough. You cannot be all things sexually to one human being. He wants to fuck other people. If he's made a monogamous commitment that he's honoring, he refrains from fucking other people. He still wants to fuck other people. He's biologically hardwired to want to fuck other people, as are you. You make a monogamous commitment that you keep, that you honor, you refrain. You still want to. Porn, as opposed to being some existential threat, can actually make it possible for people to get a little bit of virtual variety when they're not getting any actual variety. Porn can make it easier for someone to honor their monogamous commitment because that desire for variety, that desire for some strange can be satiated by a little porn spelunking. Allow him that and no more fucking snooping and no more pretending that ultimatums that are met with unconditional surrenders are discussions that you had where you came to agreements. The agreement now is he pretends not to look at porn. You pretend to believe him. No more fucking snooping. It's the only agreement that works. Dan, my partner and I need your help to decide if we should try to open our relationship. Or I guess I need your help because I'm the one calling. I'm a straight, bi-curious 29-year-old woman from the U.S., and he's a straight 35-year-old man from the country where we both live. Our relationship was long distance for a while, and last summer we finally moved in together and things were great. Neither of us has been in an open relationship, but I have always been open to the possibility of one. And we talked about it hypothetically from the beginning, but... He didn't like to think of me being with someone else. So when we were long distance, which would have been the logical time to have an open relationship, we did not. Neither of us dated other people. When we moved in together, things were great. And then they started getting not so great. He was flirtatiously messaging other women and leaving his computer or his phone open to the messages where I would see it. And then when I asked him about it, he lied. I suspect he did it purposely or subconsciously to make me jealous because he equates jealousy with expressing love. Well, it doesn't make me feel good and it makes me miserable. So I decided not to give him that reaction I thought he was fishing for. And I told him that theory about his behavior and he doesn't agree. He thinks he should be able to text whomever he wants. And I shouldn't be able to ask about it, which I feel is both disrespectful and unrealistic if he's texting a girl at a table in a restaurant where we're eating together and I can see it. And it just seems so ridiculous. Your girlfriend, whom you love, is willing to explore being in an open relationship in which you can text or date with abandon, and you prefer to be sneaky about it and put the relationship at risk. Anyway, he either stopped doing that or got better at hiding it, and we didn't have that argument for a while, but other small rejections in our relationship are increasing. The only dates we have are to the movies, usually with two of his guy friends. We used to do laundry and go to the grocery store together, not anymore. I want to do these things with him, and he doesn't. He, We still talk and cuddle a lot, and he makes me laugh a lot, but the sex is pretty much non-existent. He doesn't even sleep in the same bed with me anymore. And I think we've had sex like six times in the past six months. And that's the hardest part. I've asked, demanded, begged, and tried different ways to seduce him, and he's just not interested He's gained a lot of weight, too, and I think that's a factor, but he won't go to the gym or go to the doctor. And at this point, we're basically roommates who cuddle, and we function well as roommates, and neither of us wants to break up. But I wonder, does he want the relationship, or does he just lack the money to get his own place? And I've told him all of this. He says he loves me, but he's not sure. 
and I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do next. Do we break up? Do I need to change my attitude and just appreciate the companionship that we have? Stop expecting more. Should we open the relationship and get our sex somewhere else? He, for the first time ever, is not opposed to the idea of being in an open relationship as he used to be. Is this a logical next step or am I being naive? To my knowledge, you, Dan, are the only person we know of who is in an open relationship, although we do know lots of couples where one or both partners has cheated. So, Dan, you're my only role model. Please help. Yes, uh, Terry and I are in an open relationship. We're monogamish, the term I coined to describe a relationship that is mostly monogamous, far more monogamous than not. Most of the time when Terry and I are fucking, we are fucking each other. Rarely, we are fucking somebody else. But we do fuck each other, and we are into each other, and we do put each other first, and we do love each other, and we're considerate of each other's feelings. I wouldn't sit at the table sexting with some other dude in front of Terry, uh, nor would he do that to me. Not because he wouldn't be allowed to sex with some other dude if he wanted to do that, but because when we're together, that's us together time. That's not us making dates time. Not that we make dates, because we don't, but... If we did, we wouldn't at dinner. Your boyfriend just sounds like a useless asshole, a selfish, self-centered jerk who is terribly, terribly inconsiderate and slightly controlling and as someone you would be well rid of. I hate to be the DTMFA machine today, but break the fuck up with this guy. Why are you with him? Doesn't fuck you. Uh, cuddles. Um, occupies some space in your life, emotional space, intimacy space, that if there was a void, a vacuum, someone else who was a better partner might get sucked into that void, sucked into that vacuum. But while he meets your needs for cuddles and a certain degree of emotional intimacy and you are sexually frustrated, you don't have the time or space in your life to go out and find somebody who might be able to meet more of your emotional and sexual needs concurrently. Is it the fear of being single? Is it the fear of a quote-unquote failed relationship? Maybe. I think that does keep a lot of people in relationships that from the outside, maybe it's easy for some of us to look at and say that should be over, that should end. Because a lot of people do fear being single. There's a stigma, particularly in late 20s, early 30s, attached to being single. It kind of says romantic failure, right? But you know what's worse than some other people perceiving you as a romantic failure and judging you? Letting that judgment paralyze you, letting the fear of other people's bullshit judgments keep you in a shitty relationship that doesn't meet your emotional or sexual needs. And this one doesn't. At the very least, if you want to stay with this guy, open the relationship. Six times in six months and kind of begrudgingly, yeah, no. He's forfeited his claim to your exclusive sexual attentions. So you can go fuck anybody else you want to. You can fuck other people with auditioning them in mind with them being potential relationships with those relationships that you establish with the other people you fuck potentially having long-term possibilities. They could supplant him in the end and they should one of these guys that you meet, one of these other guys you meet, but they, they probably should supplant him in the end because this relationship is going nowhere. This relationship is dying on the vine and you need to get out. And if you can't make a clean break and get him out of your life, create that vacuum that creates that energy and drive to go find somebody else. And if you can't make a clean break, then do the, we're going to have an open relationship so we can stay together thing that so many couples who are really not meant to be together are not going to be together for much longer do. And that brings the open relationship model into disrepute. 
So many couples who shouldn't be together, who know they shouldn't be together, but fear breaking up, fear being single, want to line up new partners perhaps before they end their relationship, will declare their relationship open. Everyone finds out about it. They tell people about it. And then they end it. And the openness was the first move in ending it. And then people think, oh, yeah, open relationships, it always means it's over because so many couples that should just make a clean break make an open break. I would advise you to make a clean break. But if you can't make a clean one, then go ahead, make an open one. But then send an apology note to everyone you know in open relationships who aren't playing these sorts of games. And in your case, that's just me and Terry. Yes, I listened to or I watched you giving a speech to a high school group. A bunch of the kids walked out, and I don't really blame them. Uh, You talk like you're an expert on the Bible, but it's quite obviously you know nothing about the Bible. Uh, Your hatred for God and the Bible, and you're nothing but a bigot. You say, God, yeah, God he, died, he came and died on a cross for you. Went through a horrible, painful death because he cared about you, because he loved you. And you turn around and say he hates you and the way you knock Christians, and you're the biggest bigot on the planet. You're so full of hatred, spewing your venom. It was just absolutely pathetic. You're a pathetic individual. That if you want to talk about the Bible, you better study it. You better learn what it really does say. You're a, a sad, sad guy. There's a whole chapter in my book, American Savage, unpacking the scandal to which this vicious little psychopath refers. Um, I gave a speech to a high school journalism conference in Seattle where they told me not to pull any punches, just to be myself, to speak to them like I would speak to college students, and I did. And there were 3,000 kids at that speech and 22 of them walked out because I said the Bible got human sexuality wrong and that there was bullshit in the Bible. And I don't want to rehearse this all again and unpack it all again. If you're really curious, read the Bigot Christmas chapter in American Savage. And lady, since you're a podcast listener, how else would you get this phone number? Uh, You call back and give me your address and I will send you a paperback, a signed paperback edition of American Savage. And you can read it or you can choke on it or whatever you want to do. Um, what do I know about the Bible? I've read it three or four times. I went to the seminary. My dad's a Catholic deacon. This is one of the great sort of shell games of religious conservatives. If you disagree with them, if you read their Bible and throw shit from their Bible back in their own faces, they accuse you of knowing nothing and they spit that word out about the Bible. Because if you knew something about the Bible, you would agree with them. And actually, usually it's someone who knows a great deal about the Bible who is routinely told in public debate that they know nothing about the Bible. For instance, the Bible is a rapidly pro-slavery document. Old and New Testaments, lying shitbags in the religious right like Pat Robertson and Ralph Reed, they will get on TV and claim that the pro-slavery shit is in the Old Testament and not the New, as if that makes it okay. As if... God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, he got slavery wrong just for a few millennia. And now he gets a pass because he sent his son to die for me, which I never asked him to do. And anybody who's read the Gospels critically knows was a after-the-fact rationalization to explain away the crucifixion. The first Gospel doesn't even have a resurrection scene in it because that shit didn't happen. I don't know what to do with these people. People like this venomous woman who accuses me of hating with so much hatred in her voice. The hatred is just dripping off her voice because I have the gall to have, I don't know, been raised a Christian, to have read her fucking Bible, to be able to debate her Bible with her point for point and not lose the debate. 
She would prefer that I was ignorant. She would prefer that I couldn't cite shit from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and throw it back in her fucking bigoted little face. She would rather I knew nothing. The ones they're afraid of, the ones they're angriest at, these little shitbags, are people like me. People who actually know lots, lady. Anyway, don't really want to debate you, lady. But I will, as I said, if you are listening, and I hope you are, I will send you an autographed copy of American Savage if you have the nerve to call back and leave me your address. We'll recognize your voice. Hey, Dan. On the lesbian woman who uh, got maybe kind of sort of hit on by an acquaintance at work, I think you're probably right that he was treating her as one of the guys, but I thought of one possibility you didn't mention, and that is that uh, knowing that she's gay and hoping perhaps that she's uh, biflexible, he might have been trying to recruit her as a third to spice up his sexless marriage. Hi, Dan. Love the show. There's a comment about episode 404 uh, about the lesbian who is getting questionable text messages from the husband of her friend. Um, I do agree with your advice in that she shouldn't report it only because it wasn't overt and there is a chance that she misinterpreted it. But then I do disagree with Lucy. Uh, Lucy started talking about uh, instances where she was overtly sexual harassed in her workplace. And that's a whole different thing. I do believe Lucy should have reported those instances uh, of direct sexual harassment that was overt and in the workplace. We, we need to make those things uh, a thing of the past. Hey, Dan. I just wanted to give a quick update. I was the caller in episode 404 whose friend's husband was possibly trying to initiate something online. A few days after my call, he ended up being much less ambiguous about fishing for sex, unfortunately. But even so, uh, regardless of that, I ended up deciding not to say anything to my friend about the advances, namely because I don't want to set off a bomb in her marriage when she seems really happy, and again, with there being kids involved. But yeah, so I did end up deciding to uh, not sort of insert myself in the marriage. So it seems like probably the best way to have gone with that. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number. If you want to leave a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Jonathan Golub, Dr. Jonathan Golub, on Twitter at Golub, G-O-L-O-B. Follow Ariel Scarcella on Twitter at Ariel is Hammond. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.